Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's podcast. And I am really, I say it, chuffed, chuffed, honoured, chuffed, happy to have Serena Gordon, who is the co-founder and the managing director of the Hoffman Institute UK, part of this wider global uh, Hoffman Institute organisation. And uh, her organisation's really benefited me personally. And I've mentioned and recommended some of my uh, coaching clients, senior executives, CEOs, to come and attend this program because I do believe in going there myself first to see if it's good enough for other people. How can I recommend something unless I know what it's like if I've been through the process myself? One of the best courses I've done in my 61 years of my life, and I'm a bit of a course junkie. I do love my courses. I love my self-development as I develop other people. But without further ado, Serena, welcome. Would you just tell us a bit about yourself uh, the Hoffman Institute and, you know, a little bit of how you happen to be the managing director today. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Really lovely to be here and also just to appreciate that um, you've mentioned the Hoffman process on a few of your other podcasts. So something that has had a profound impact on you. So, you know, I'm kind of humbly coming here, hopefully, to just uh, explain in layman's terms or in my terms, um, what the Hoffman process is in order that, you know, it does come alive a little bit. Um, and yeah, to share my, you know, my experience of it, we're now entering our 28th year of having done the Hoffman process or offering the Hoffman process here in the UK. Uh, I think if you asked me 29 years ago, uh, would I be doing this? The answer would be no. <laughs> <laughs> I had a completely different uh, plan in mind for my life, my career. Um, but actually what, I suppose you, you know, say what, why Hoffman, what happened? My involvement, I'd say it comes back to falling in love, meeting a man uh, called Tim Lawrence. Um, Tim had worked with Bob Hoffman. Uh, Bob was an American. Um, he was a very intuitive man, very ahead of uh, the game, I think, when it comes to personal growth and personal development. Um, he lived in San Francisco. He was actually originally from Ukraine, um, but his family had emigrated there. And in the Bay Area in the 60s, you, we know what was going on. Um, there was a lot of, you know, people trying out new stuff, that whole sense of, of body and emotion and intellect and spirit and experimenting and all of that. And I think Bob was just one of those people who decided to put a program together. So, you know, even though we're celebrating 28 years in the UK, um, it's actually, what is it, 67, nearly 70 years mm. globally. And we are part of a franchise. So um, there are big Hoffman Institutes in the in the US, in Australia, in Canada, in South America, all across Europe. So, you know, we're just holding the the flag for the UK. And as if you can imagine back in 1995, 
when Bob Hoffman first persuaded um, Tim Lawrence to, you know, come with me. We were going back to the UK to have our first baby. Um, and he said, go and get the Hoffman process going in the UK. And I think Tim and I just looked at each other at that point and said, but, you know, we're expect we're a bit like Mary and Joseph, you know, we don't have a house, <laughs> we don't have a car, we're expecting a baby, we have no business experience at all. Um, uh, but, you know, my people pleasing pattern and his agreement that it was going to be a good thing meant that we went, okay, yeah, load us up. And so together, we've, you know, we've worked, we've taken different roles, you know, um, I obviously have been a, a mother, we've now got two boys together. I also was an actress um, when I met Tim, so my background was actually in theatre, which in its own place has its own management style. You know, you can't be an actor on your own, you need a team. Um, and then before I knew it, we were both, um, Tim put me on the license and we've been growing this, holding it, I suppose, a bit like a third child, really, it's grown up mm -hmm. with us, I mean, our kids and our 28 and 25 so they're setting off into their life and this is quite a transitional year for Tim and I as well as we start to look into the transferring from it being a private limited company to actually becoming a not-for-profit mm. uh, so this is a a moment a moment and it's all coming up and when you run a personal development company that's about especially when our tagline is when you're serious about change Blimey, you've got to practice what you preach. So, yeah, so we're peeling back the layers. We're looking inside. We're doing some clutter clearing. We're reaching out for expertise and advice to help us with this big step. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it is an exciting moment. In fact, uh, Lee, who runs a charity uh, uh, helping people who've um, been influenced by violence against women and girls, hers is the Inspiring Leadership Foundation. She just changed from being a uh, uh, a sort of, I suppose, a trust, a charitable trust to a foundation it does seem to be the way to go. Um, and uh, she was feeling her way. But I, I think it's really fascinating what uh, you and Tim and, and all your facilitators created. And so for those watching and listening, I attended one of your programs in December um, at Broughton Hall up in Skipton. And, and I, uh, I don't know what I was... Uh, trying to uh, what I was expecting but I, I knew that I wanted to uh, go back and look at the the sort of the inner journey my upbringing um, uh, for those who don't know me it was uh, it had a few triggers so father killed and therefore absent when I was two and a half uh, he was a naval fast jet pilot um, a hero who saved the lives of two other people but died uh, trying to save them in the in the process of it he, they lived but he died so that was some some sort of figure up there how do I ever relate to that but you know it was some almost mythical figure that I looked looked up to particularly when I was doing the Cypress Double Mountain Marathon I sort of saw him sitting <laughs> on a cloud giving me some inspiration uh, whatever works for people um, and then mother bringing up three boys on her own um, and going to boarding school at about the age of eight or nine uh, and being um, lovingly, but uh, clearly uh, left on the pavement with the housemaster as she drove off. And that, all those things have quite an impact on you for your behaviour today. And, and do you want to just sort of say a bit about that? Because, I mean, uh, 
this this the, the concept of of how we can help people. Uh, would you perhaps just explain a bit on that, Serena, so those listening might understand? Yeah, and um, and I resonate with that little little boy. I was that little girl, a little person who also waved goodbye to her mum at around about that age, slightly younger, um, an only child. Uh, so maybe there's something about what we learn, the positives of that boarding school experience, which can be positive or negative to many. Uh, there's something certainly for me where it helped build my resilience and my ability to actually look after myself. Mm. Um, so that was quite powerful, but it took me a lot of therapy to work that one out. Um, so the Hoffman process is a seven day residential program um, to really kind of, you know, bang home. This is just a personal development course. So uh, it's got no miracle cures. It's not a rehab. Um, it's not a replacement for therapy. Um, I'm a great believer in individual therapy or coaching, you know, having a mentor, having someone who guides you. For some, it might be a religious instructor or whatever, but for others, it might just be having a, a good friend. But being able to talk about, you know, what's going on for you, I think has been proven now that it's one of the things that helps calm your central nervous system. Um, Hoffman is just a course. It is seven days. It's got a beginning, a middle and an end. We have on average about 24 participants on each program. And as you said, three minimum of three facilitators. But and I say but because it's something, you know, I say a lot. It's not group therapy. So because sometimes people go, oh, I've seen a Netflix documentary or I've seen a you know program where everyone sits around, you know, like in AA or something like that. The difference with Hoffman is you don't have to share anything that you're not comfortable sharing. So no one's walking around with a microphone or forcing you to say things that you don't want to share. So even though there are 24 people, you're very individual. You know, it's like 24 little individual childhoods, you know, represented by the person who's sitting there all different cultures, so our age range is mm. between about 20 and kind of 75. You know, it's like Babel in there sometimes because when people are speaking <laughs> in their own language, you know, the roof just lifts and you go, this is all about, you know, as, as a brilliant CEO, Blake Mykoski said, you know, it, it's all about the business of improving lives. Mm. And all we're providing is the structure. Um, it's really important. Our job is to make sure that everyone who attends is really ready to attend. Uh, so you know about the rigorous screening process that we go through. And, you know, if you can't cut that, if you can't do the pre-work, just go off and have a holiday or, you know, mm. buy a fridge. Um, if you're really <laughs> ready to change your life, take it seriously. As you said, roll your sleeves up. It's like you're being in training for your bike ride. We expect the same kind of commitment of people who are actually coming on Hoffman to, to clear the, the diary, keep the weekend free. Remember, your, it's a digital detox, which to some is a horror in itself. I mean, talk about addictive behaviors. You know, what do you mean I can't have my phone for a week? <laughs> you know. I, and actually, just, just staying on that for a minute. Um, yeah. From my, my personal experience, I, you know, I'm I'm one who prepares a lot for courses and, um, you know, want to try and be, you know, please teacher. I mean, some, you know, transference from childhood, you know, this competitive, comparative, 
being in the army courses and the staff college where you, you know, wanted to be in the top 10%. And all this kind of stuff. Anyway, in preparing for it, I, I realized that I had to get rid of my, my Apple watch uh, and my phone and that kind of stuff. In fact, I was going to leave my phone at home with my wife, Lee, but actually in the end, because I was staying on for a couple other days at a hotel, I needed it for that. But I just very happy to put it in a bag and, and not look at technology ever again for those seven days. And it was so healthy doing that. And also just having a just a normal manual watch that uh, ticked away could easily have done without a watch. But but um, the, the team on my course, they knowing how timely I was, one of the guys um, who was there with me, who we've I've stayed in touch with, actually, he's in America. And um, he said, Jonathan, your challenge is to be late by five minutes for every <laughs> no don't do, don't ask me to do that no please my world will fall apart yeah. so i did do it for about three or four but it was actually beginning to be disrupted for the group because i was like where's jonathan you know where's jonathan but uh but after that we had a bit of a laugh about that i said no i, I don't want to actually do that one but it is a good lesson to to not be so intense or whatever it is but but having that preparation and also knowing that there was going to be no alcohol no drugs i don't do drugs anyway i hardly drink at all but actually having no drink during that time for some was harder than for others um but a really good process and and now i i pretty much uh, am alcohol free almost teetotal now um mm. and really only do it just occasionally to be supposedly social but actually i found it that my health is so much better particularly training for endurance bike rides you don't want to have the impact on your heart rate and your heart rate variance of of, of alcohol i think but that's yeah i mean i think that's one of the things that we've noticed over the past 28 years is the difference between what was considered a compulsive behavior and what were what a, was an addiction so in the early days we did used to talk about drink and drugs um when Tim and I uh, first started doing talks in 1995 in wow. London, we also had, you know, there was that, you know, slight shame around doing any form of therapy. I remember a, there was a photograph, I think, once of Naomi Campbell coming out of a clinic in, in Harley Street, you know, and, and she had dark glasses and it was all like that. It seemed that people were left to their own suffering um, and there was no way out and therefore addictions would happen to try and soothe the pain that a lot of people were in. Now, the world is so different. I mean, I know some people say, well, we've, it's now gone to an extreme. But now the fact that people can talk openly on podcasts or in newspapers, on programs, on TV or whatever about their story, their journey, their suffering, their triggers. Um, as you say, on the process, it's not just not drink and drugs, it's also not exercising, you know, not doing anything that will take you out of your of your kind of emotional crutch or the thing that you might do to self, you know, to, to suppress an emotion. For those seven days, we're all about going, bring it in, come on. If it's just for the first few days, show up show up with all your baggage emotional baggage show up allow your body to dump it there and then create the space for what you actually do want to bring into your life yeah um, i I, I, th I think that's such a good way of, of expressing it and i i found it really interesting when we showed up um in, in our case at this uh, lovely venue broughton hall old country house with lovely grounds which we made use of and um how 
Um, uh, it was interesting as we were all just gathering in the dining room, having some food together, as people were chatting, that they were almost sizing each other up and working out. But a lovely uh, caveat was put on. Please don't ask people what they do in their day-to-day -day jobs. And that was really helpful because you then don't um, make judgments on people. Oh, he works for this firm, you know, Investec or whatever. Or, you know, you don't, you don't make any judgments on people because they're from all walks of life and all ages and sizes. And there were people from the UAE and the people from Germany and from America. Uh, that was fascinating. But you just sort of warm to people where they were at. I mean, one of the things I was working on was being more accepting, less judgmental, less critical. Um, probably came from my mother, I think, so, you know, the, the standards and um, doing the things that naval officers and naval officers' wives would do and looking, the putting the mask on, really. Mm. And I think that was one of the things the course gave for me is take, removing layers and layers of, of my actors' masks that I thought, as an officer, this is the way you should behave. And who was Jonathan underneath it all? Uh, and so that was incredibly helpful. And to then later on get the feedback from the others on how they first experienced you and mm -hmm. how they experienced you now. And, and somebody did say to me in preparation, because it's, it's almost like important that you don't know too much about it. And this is back to the original thing when I, I was coming prepared for it. Hilariously, the room in which we were going to be in, which had a horseshoe of chairs and had folders under the table, was open. And so I just, no one was around. I wandered in and I found <laughs> where my chair was. I was, oh, this is, this is, this is confession. And I was sort of thinking, well, perhaps I don't want to sit in that chair. Perhaps I'd like to be over on that corner. Can I move my folder? And I thought, no, they've probably got a, a reason for where we are. It was, I was opening the folder, having a quick flick through it. It said, please don't read ahead. I went, oh, and I closed the folder, put it under the chair and left the room going, I've just got to turn up and experience it. And as one guy said, I did the wonderful course with the Pruins. Uh, my wife and I did this sort of uh, couples uh, course uh, at the Hoffman Couples Course. Brilliant. Uh, in London, before we did this, uh, Lee hasn't yet done the Hoffman process. She'll do it when she's she's ready. But um, that was a, a lovely preparation for this and just sort of how you show up and how you experience things without trying to preset stuff. I think I've it's, lost my train of thought, but you know. No, it's very much that. I think you're right. Um, it's it's putting your life under a microscope from the very beginning, um, even with the pre-course autobiographical work that we send you. You know, should expect people to take about we say six to eight hours. Sometimes people come back and they say, "I've just spent four days." You know, but it's it's that awareness of pulling together. Where do my beliefs and my judgments come from? So as you say, if, if the first thing we do is either put people into silence or say to them, please don't talk about what you do for a living, because socially we're looking for connection and therefore our little databases are looking for, you know, oh, they're like me. Oh, they've got the same shoes as me or they sound like they probably went to have my kind of background or, oh, I'm wary of that person because I never trusted people who looked like that or sounded like that. Or, you know, that woman looks like a victim. She looks very needy. I'm going to keep away. You know, all of that is going on in our brains mm. based on the kind of program that was installed when we were babies. So it's like if you've had, whether it's 20 years or 75 years of that programming that says, this is the lens through which you look at life, you know, you're not to blame, 
no one's to blame. And Bob Hoffman wrote a book called No One Is to Blame. Because sometimes people hear about the process and they go, oh, is it all about saying that it's your childhood and it's mum and dad? And it's like, no, it's a rite of passage. It's about actually owning who you are as part of your family system. You know, the, the who came first? Mm. What is, as you ask the questions on your podcast, what's your legacy? You know, why are you here, right here, right now? So at that point, we press the pause button and we go, let's take the layers off. You know, these have been fantastic. They've been protection. You know, they've been survival. You know, I couldn't have got through my childhood without being super resourceful and resilient and in control of my destination. So much so I even used to carry an A to Z of London in case somebody left me or forgot about me because I could get myself home. You know, it's like, it's not usual for a four-year-old to do that. Oh, wow. But oh, but yeah. it made it, it allowed me to find my way so that I could go. The one person I can trust in my life is me. If I can't trust anybody else, so we're just taking those layers off, opening it all out. There's a program that we follow. We offer the opportunity for people to engage with it. By the time you've taken a week off work and spent, you know over three and a half grand, you're pretty committed. So yeah. it's very rare that we have somebody who kind of arrives and goes, oh gosh, I thought this was a yoga week, I'm off. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it's our job to facilitate 24 people's individual journeys, keep everyone, you know, rested, you know, resourced out in nature. As you say, Broughton is a beautiful location run by someone who's actually done the Hoffman process, Roger Tempest. Yeah. Um, uh, well, well, just just yeah. picking up on that point, uh, what I was, uh, I lost my train of thought, but it was Matthew Pruin and his wife, uh, Emma. Emma, a lovely couple doing couples work, but also they're obviously part of your fraternity of, of training people up and their retreats that they do are in France. Um, and I asked him if I should do that as well as the London one. He said, look, if you've done the London one, you probably, it's the similar thing. It's just a little bit longer. But he said, my advice to you is there's about 120 different exercises during that time. Mm -hmm. Just completely commit yourself to all of them. Don't hold back or judge or think you have to be something or be another way or how people would judge you. Just go and experience it. And that was great. And and I, I dug out this morning and I was sharing this with you, but those who are it. watching, um, it's your it's your what this wonderful book that you've created with one of your other colleagues. And I'm reading day one, five, six since I did my course in December. And this is Monday, the 15th of uh, well, it's now Tuesday now, but I wrote it on Monday, the 15th of May. The four stages of the process, awareness, expression, forgiveness, new behavior. Draw a mind map here with uh, each one in a bubble, right in each section, the areas in which you have changed since you've done the process. And I just really sort of share this really that the awareness I find now I catch my thoughts and my behavior early. Mm -hmm. I sort of, I, I'm much more a conscious incompetent. I know what I don't know. And sometimes a conscious competent, I know what I know. Um, and, and I'm very, I'm very blessed with Lee, my, my sort of soulmate, my wife and, and life partner that I'll discuss things with her and she'll go, Really? And I go, oh, yeah, well, I was sort of thinking maybe. <laughs> so, so it's almost like having a sounding board and also the sort of second and third person, almost putting myself in somebody else's shoes and how would they mm. see the interaction with me? And then the third person looking at me and another person having a conversation and matching that. So, so it really gave me a huge level of awareness. And as I say, I've done so many different courses over the years. I've even been to 
Peru and done ayahuasca and San Pedro and last year. And but but this was the best bell away. The expression. Um, it was very interesting. I had a, a chat with an American author, and uh he was interested in doing something with me, and I, yeah, yeah, great, you know, sort of the people please a bit of me. And and, and actually on reflection, having listened to their book, I go, this this is actually not what I want. I, I don't want to do this. I thought, but am I going to go for ruinous empathy? Oh, yes. I just say yes. But actually, it's it's not really me. But I'll pretend that it's really what I want. And I go, no, I want to actually have radical candor, but with a kindness about it, but actually be authentic. And that, I think, is what I gained personally from the Hoffman process, this ability to express what I think and what I feel mm. without having to have the other person uh, like it particularly or make me popular, because I think popularity was always something that I was struggling with, going for respect rather than popularity and having those boundaries, expressing what my boundary, uh, my, my heart says, I'd love to. My head says, I just don't have the space. So it's actually, it's a no. And actually by saying no to the things that don't matter so much and having some prioritize, uh, priorities in my life, I found that's really helpful. The final couple, and then I'm just interested in your thoughts about this yeah. step stage process, was the forgiveness. Um, I, I wrote a number of letters as part of the process. I also wrote to my ex-wife, Bridget, and we'd had a, a difficult divorce and it would have been quite a little bit acrimonious. And um, I wrote a loving, very supportive uh, letter to her asking for forgiveness uh, for anything that I'd done that had hurt her, wishing her well, and, and just genuinely sent, not expecting anything in return, but I just sent it out there to the universe, to her with lots of love and support. And I, I left it at that. I actually got a wonderful letter back with nothing, no barbs, no comments, just utter appreciation and appreciation of the financial support I've given her over the years and continue to give her. And it was just lovely, mm. life-changing experience. And and also with those who were dead and those who died recently and my brother, what he'd been through. So the forgiveness really um, beautiful. And and now my, uh, my ex-wife Lee and I can meet with my wife Lee at the, the wedding of our two daughters, which Bridget Fabulous. and I have together, which is going to be very special. Completely different. Had I done had that before the Hoffman, it would have been acrimonious and difficult, and the daughters would have had a difficult time. What do they do with their two warring parents? It, it's it's just we look forward to meeting each other as friends, which is amazing. And finally, new behaviors, this sort of happy, healthy, non-judgmental, non-critical understanding people doing the quad quadrinity checks, my healthy fitness, the sort of focus and being more present. So I just want to say thank you to you and the guys. The process works incredibly well. And as we often say in any development, trust the process. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't, don't fight it. Just trust the process. And Oh, well, what about this? And what about that? And I'm not happy about this. And 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 final point before I, uh, any any thoughts that come up for you about about the process, maybe even negative love and things like that. And, 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 and why we go back to the age of zero to 13 is that. It was so easy on the course to start making judgments about other people. Oh, and then when you found they were playing it back about some triggers that it's not about them, it's about you and your view of the world. That was such an awareness. So Serena, what, what, what thoughts come up for you from that about the process and things like that? Well, first of all, I think, as you say, it's about putting the work in. 
um, you know, as I said, it's not a magic wand. So, um, you know, part of the seven days is also a training, is encouraging people to get used to doing regular things, to become very aware. And I think part of any leadership is being really conscious of your inner leadership you know otherwise you end up just going out there with all the wounds all the shame all the you know negativity and the attitudes towards people and that's why sometimes we end up in the state that we're in you know there's a lot of uh, narcissistic egotistical people wandering around there you know creating chaos because they're probably inside so fragile and they haven't necessarily done any work on themselves. So it's all just being chucked out there and we end up, you know, being uh, being the ones who, um, who suffer. But I think if you really do make a decision as you did to focus on the inner world, there's so much information there. And then that information we can use and work through on the process. But then afterwards, you still have your life to live. You know, you want to be the best role model for your children. If you if you mm. choose to have children, you know, you want them to grow up to have values and and ways of being. You want to, in my case, I want to leave a very positive legacy on the world. So I have to work that shit until the day I die. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't just go to sleep and listen to a podcast and expect to wake up in the morning different. You know, it's not, it's, I can't just adjust my diet and expect things to be different. I have to really work this stuff. So yeah, I'd say I, I, that, I just, that commitment works. Yeah. And just staying with that, um, it talked about um, diet and listening to mindfulness. What I found so very interesting, you, you and I are both uh, fellow uh, recovering dyslexics, I think but we might call ourselves, um, and therefore for us, audio and visual and notebooks like this one that you've written is so useful where you can do drawing and make notes. Um, but I, I, as part of my dyslexia and my wish to um, coach CEOs and teams and help people around the world and do these podcasts like this one, so it's my sort of give back. Um, I don't make any money from it. It's just my way of sharing what I've learned. So part of my journey was um, uh, my father's co-pilot who lived and, and said, you have a choice. You know, you could be a victim. Poor me. My dad was killed, saving the life of these other guys. And my life was a disaster because my father was killed. Or you can say my father's my inspiration and actually because of him being an inspired leader, I will inspire leadership and others. And my mother did lots of philanthropy. And because of her, I'll do lots of philanthropy. So, so that was a lovely, he was almost <laughs> trained in Hoffman and Stoicism to, to, to get me to think differently about it. Mm. And, and, and I found that in trying to help other people, I read a lot, uh, or rather I don't read because of the dyslexia. I can read, but I just, I listen to lots of audiobooks. Mm. Uh, I was telling you about one, but but whatever they might be in my newsletters that I, I send out to people, um, I sort of review various books. But I found all the research I've done around health, well-being, mindfulness, leadership. When I came on the Hoffman process, all the science that I'd learned and the research backs the intuitive approach 70 years ago that Bob and yourselves and others since then have been using. You're way ahead of the power curve with meditation and mindfulness. And with bioenergetic work, with the, yeah. 
with the body, I think, you know, more and more the process of people are coming because even if they're in a therapeutic relationship, that is one that's about the intellect being engaged, doing the research, the, the data retrieval. It's about communicating on that level. When we're on the process, it's as though we actually say, let's switch the intellect off mm. because sometimes people are very heady you know, and we'll have people saying, oh, no, I really, you know, I think, and you can even hear it in people's language when someone says a lot of, well, I think we should da-da-da, and I think it'd be really good, and I know, you know, it's all cognitive language. What we're trying to do is getting people into their feelings. So even if you just spot that in someone and kind of say, well, how do you feel about that rather than what do you think? Mm. It totally adjusts it. And our feelings are very much, you know, we talk about the little emotional child that little child, we do focus on childhood up to kind of puberty. You know, how did that little child feel? Where did you learn emotional language, emotional intelligence? But where did you learn it? And, you know, my parents were back in the 60s. They were very young. They were in their early 20s when they had me. Back in the 50s, in the 40s, in the 30s, there weren't a lot of books on parenting. You know, people have gone through a war, there was suffering, there was recovery, there had been loss, there was confusion, there was also, you know, things, new things breaking through. No one really says to you as a parent, before you become a parent, just work out what your shit is so that you don't hand it on to your child. Um, so the process really kind of takes you back to that early age. You know, in my case, I had a mother and a father who divorced when I was four. I then had a stepmother and a stepfather. And then I went to boarding school. So by the time I was eight, I had what we called, you know, I had five significant influences in my life. And then I went to the boarding school and that became a major influence in my life. So I had to unpack, you know, why was I a little bit controlling? Why was I a bit distant? Oh, because my mum, very young, being pregnant, you know, wanted to finish her degree. She wasn't exactly a cuddly, loving person because her parents had never cuddled and loved her because that wasn't done in those days. Mm. You know, and a lot of your um, people that you work with, as you say, coming from a, um, a military background or a career in that environment where, you know, stiff upper lip, you know, we've all been it. Your grandfather was, your great grandfather was. Don't let us down. Follow the family, you know, the, the, the occupation. When you are a little one, you need incredible bravery to say, do you know what? No, I don't want to do this. I want to go off and be a sheep farmer and live in the Cairngorms and commune with nature and look at birds. It's like the horror and shame that you might bring to the family if you go off and do that. You know, and you notice people go, well, then we've got the rebel child. <laughs> Nobody talks to him. It's like, come on, at least now, I think the world is different. We are very accepting of our kids. We do an awful lot of saying, what do you want to do? You know, which school would you like to go to? What would you like to eat? I think um, certainly for me growing up, my parents just said, well, that's where you're going. You know, that's what we're doing. So I, of course, just suppressed into my body all those feelings that I might otherwise have wanted to express because I was told children should be seen and not heard. Mm. You know, so shush, little girl, be good. Smile, look pretty, and don't make a scene. So most of my childhood was just about 
you know, this cognitive dissonance between thinking, this is what I should be doing, what this is what society wants, but this is what I'm feeling, you know? So on the process, at least that little feeling person is given an opportunity to speak, you know, and to shout and scream or cry or rant or, you know, nobody cares, but it's just much better for your body. And as you say, the science backs this up, that you don't suppress it. There's a great book that Bessel van der Kolk has written called The Body Keeps the Score. You know, there's bo books by Gabor Mate, who's done the Hoffman process. He did it in Canada. Gabor writes so much about childhood trauma um, and about our little bodies. So, you know, if you have children, you know, look at the impact that's already happening to their bodies if they're getting bewildered or out of sorts. So, you know, I think the more we can get the young people to acknowledge this, the better. And then, you know, the final bit for us, as you know, is also just trusting your inner self, whether you want to call it, you know, your wisdom, your essence, your true self, we refer to it as your spiritual self, which is basically, you know, the light within, um, you know, and the, and the, you know, the voice that I refer to. Um, if I want something, you know, if I want to really diagnose something, if I'm worried about something, I'll do, and you mentioned you do a, a thing called a quad check. So that's our quadrinity check. So it's a, basically just a posh word for saying four. So it's, I will check in with my intellect. I will check in with my little child. How is she feeling? Is she a bit worried, nervous about something, anxious about a big meeting that's coming up? You know, I'll also check in with my body and then my spirit will actually just put their arms around me and go, do you know what? We've got this, you know, and it's a really good way of actually setting yourself up for the day. It, it is. It, it's a it's a wonderful way. And and if you hear any noise, it's the, uh, the it's window. not your tummy. It's your doggy. The, the, the window cleaner has decided to do all the window cleaning in the middle of this, which is <laughs> my, my little dog uh, has got herself very excited. Come over here. You can join me. And uh, this, is, this, this is Willow who will bark at anybody. Um, yeah, th this uh, it was an interesting one that someone said to me that, that this point about uh, when we're in trouble, we tend to sort of retreat into the intellect. And that's the easiest thing for us to do. It's, it's almost like a little cave we go into of our intellect and, and how we feel about certain things. But actually to, to think about what our child would want is really important. And do you want to just talk a bit about sort of negative love? And, and how come that, you know, stuff that when we were 13, is it really still influencing us now? Would you just say a bit about that? That would be quite helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Because actually, it's a question that people quite often ask. They'll say, but, you know, but I've got issues in my life now. You know, I'm going through a divorce or I'm, you know, I've just been fired from my job. You know, how does that impact on my childhood? So um, negative love is the thing that that Bob Hoffman came up with. And when I say negative, it's like if you look at the word, instead replace it to, with the word deficit. So it's a, a lack of love and how that then manifests in your life today. So um, as a little child, as I said, with my, my two parents, you know, I have my father who I might either um, become like him, you know, he's charismatic, he's, um, he's a, a big energy, I, I see everybody just loving him. So in my mind, as a little one, I'm thinking, if I'm like him, people will love me. 
Um, I might also look at another behavior and notice that someone's very critical or judgmental of others. And they're always saying things like, oh, you don't want to be like them or look at the shoes she's wearing. Oh my goodness, you know, have you seen what they're like? And as a little child, I might go, oh, well, that's a behavior that's obviously good because if I'm critical of others, then I'm like my parents. So as little sponges, we're adapting to our world around us. You know, we might also say, I don't, I don't want to be like my dad or I don't want to be a workaholic and drive myself because I had a childhood where I never saw my dad because he was away, always trying to make money, trying, you know. Um, so I might say, I'm going to do the opposite, you know, and I'm going to become the dyslexic numpty who ends up having a career as an actor because at least someone else writes my scripts and tells me what to wear, you know. So it was like uh, there was a kind of rebellion in me as a little child because I decided, well, I'm not going to be like my dad. You get older and you realize, shit, we are becoming like our parents. <laughs> and at that point, you're going to go, okay, well, let's, as you say, hang on to the legacy, the positive stuff. I've got great, you know, love of comedy, of Woody Allen, of performing all from my dad, you know, a love of music and science from my mum. You know, those are wonderful things. So the, the, the positive qualities we want to hold on to, it's the negative patterns, it's the chains around your ankle that keep you stuck in the past. And as you said, in your old story, you know, are you gonna be that person all your life who was the little girl who went to boarding school? I mean, you know, yeah, because I'm talking to you about it, but you know, it doesn't have to be how I identify myself. Yeah, I, I find that really, really helpful and, and it's one of the great things about it is that uh, as somebody who likes to teach other people when I've practiced something I then get very enthusiastic about it and they go look whoa 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 do not try and sell this to don't try and persuade your wife to come or your children or the rest um they'll just learn you I mean and, and I remember a lovely lady Nancy Klein who wrote the a recent book which I, I recommend called The Promise That Changes Everything I Won't Interrupt You uh, she's been such a great mentor to um, myself and to my wife, Lee. But uh, she said that when she was a, a teacher, uh, her headmaster got her, uh, got her in because she was you know, something hadn't quite gone right in the class. And he just said, Nancy, remember, people are learning you. Mm. And, 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 and that for me is the Hoffman process with each individual who attends it. Don't try and convert everybody else like some, you know, Jehovah's Witness. Um, because it is so good, I, I, I can see the benefit of that. But actually, just go and live it. Just go and have your awareness, your expression, your new behaviour, and your forgiveness. Not the biggest forgiveness is for myself, because yeah. I'm I'm such a you know again like you. I needed needed to control things because things seemed out of control. Everybody seemed to be dying in my family, so perhaps I should try and control things because everything else seemed to be totally out of control. I remember my brother Graham saying. Uh, when um, our mother came to see him at uh, boarding school, brother, would you not come and see me again at these these weekends? Because every time you come to see me, you tell me someone's died. So I relate you coming. He didn't say it like this, but he related her coming with bad news. So he didn't almost didn't want her to come because there would always be somebody else who died. Um, and and I think this is has been very helpful for me. This idea of um, just go and be an example of the best you, your spirit self you're mm -hmm. you you at your best rather than trying to convert and sort everybody else out sort your own shit out first mm -hmm. 
and and then others will go that's really interesting i might do that i mean so for example harry's and bradley they're 29 and 30 this year um they're both getting married it's very exciting uh, i'd love them to do the hoffman process but i can only do that by the way i'm showing up as mm. a different different part and they've noticed the difference from a big difference and in fact i had a great dad and daughter time encouraged by lee and i took harry and Brani to dubai after the hoffman process for dad and daughter time and we had the best time mm. ever there were tears there were joys there was happiness we went to sand surfing we did the uh, leap of faith and the water park which scared oh the God. living Jesus <laughs> out of it but we're all yelling and screaming and having fun and uh, you know we just had lovely special father and daughter time which i would have wished i had with my father but i never did because he was he was killed yeah and and, and so i think that moment is as powerful as as encouraging anything else but but people have got to have to learn you and learn you but learn how you it's about your behavior and your actions not your fine words because they're they're judging what you do yeah I think also it does and I think there's there's lots of books out there you know that again I won't read but I might listen to um about leadership and about the power of vulnerability um and about how if you lead from the front by example it doesn't have to be you know do it my way my way or the highway I mean I had someone in my organization who tried that and you know oh I know on certain times they were shown the door um because this is very much about I mean without it sounding too hippie in this environment it's coming from a place of integrity and truth and love not coming from a place of patterns and fear. Mm. Uh, sometimes people can make decisions based on wanting to conceal the shame, wanting to hide their vulnerability. And what they do in doing that is they create a kind of false self. It's like putting on the uniform to hide the fact that so long as the uniform's on, I'm going to look like I've got my shit together. But when you then take the uniform off and you're just in a T-shirt and a pair of pants, who are you then? And if you can be that person who can be in the uniform and show the vulnerability and embrace the learning, the listening, you know, all the things that people on your podcast talk about. I mean, because you've got, you know, all the, the greatest top tips ever. Um, I'm not a business person. I just happen to have been untimely thrust into this role of of being managing director of a personal development company. But in I'm still me. Uh, but I had to learn that. I had to have the courage to be the me in an unnatural environment sometimes. I have to be the same me here as I was out walking on the Sussex Hills this morning. Otherwise, I'm going to very likely have a breakdown. Yeah, I, I, and uh, this is this is something very interesting. I, I saw with with one of uh, a partners in a big professional services firm, and he was living the image, but he wasn't being himself. And in our inspired leadership compass, we talk about the elements of it, which which you must integrate, whether it be your moral compass, your sense of uh, legacy, meaning and purpose, and health, and all the all the kind of topics I. I normally talk, and we would have talked in the question, but I found this so interesting that I just went off script, as you could probably tell us, Um 
And, and, and when they don't have their shit together, they are disintegrated and, and, and their life fell apart and, and his did. And, and really all he could face up after his breakdown was just sitting on the sofa and walking other people's dogs, not being the managing director of a big professional services firm because he'd been going so long ignoring all that was going on. So, you know, business leaders around the world and lots of military people listen to this podcast. And I just, my challenge to you as you listen to this, go, you know, are you strong enough to be vulnerable? Mm. And vulnerability for somebody certainly in the um, police or the ambulance or the armed services is seen as a bad word. You, you know, you, you, the, vulner the, the, the position was vulnerable, you took it. Um, so, so you want to be strong or vulnerable. So they'd rather be strong. But if we perhaps replace vulnerability with authenticity, just being genuinely yourself, and that's okay, rather than to try and put on a show, because people know when you're putting on a show, they can tell, they can yeah. smell it, they can feel it, they can sense it, and they go, "This is just the person's bullshitting." I, I don't yeah. buy into this at all. I mean, we have a lot of people who. You know, they might not say they're coming on the Hoffman process because they might feel a little bit of if people look it up online, might they think there's something wrong with me if I'm going on a course that may or may not have therapeutic outcome. Um, but more and more, I can tell you, and you probably know from your own group, um, there are really courageous leaders coming in. There are people who've got a lot of experience behind them, but they are also worried that as they either face retirement or as the young come chomping at the heels, that without all the trappings, who are they? You know, and when you retire, you know, there's that, that you know, sometimes liberating, sometimes devastating moment of transition, a bit like being a teenager or going, you know, then going off and getting a car or getting married. There are there are rites of passage that happen throughout our lives. And retirement is one that we're noticing people are getting particularly scared about because they feel, well, I'm addicted to my job. If I don't have my job, um, you know, my wife will probably leave me because I'll be wandering around the house going, you know, what are you up to? What And, and you know, sometimes I'm not being judging that the wife is at home all the time. It's anybody who is, you know, used to actually going an, in a routine to work, being amongst certain people, when you then say stop, you know, there's a moment where we have to actually really protect those people and give them tools to get on into the next, into the next phase of their lives. Yeah, and that's such a good reminder. You know, I did the course when I was 60, just about to turn 61. And it was so profound for me. I, I sort of often wondered how my life would have been had I done it when I was 30. Um, I, I know it would have been an even better life. However, I'm one of the things that uh, in the time for reflection and certainly walking in the grounds and thinking and journaling was that I realized that that old saying that success is getting what you want and happiness is wanting what you already have I certainly realized, and I was pretty close to it then, that I already had everything I wanted in life, mm -hmm. everything. And actually to be happy now, not when I, I'll, I'll be happy when I have this item or this 
material thing or when the mortgage is paid off on the house, which I've just paid off today. The <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, yeah, very exciting. Um, but, but I'm still the happy person I was yesterday. There's, uh, there's not a, it's a moment of celebration. That's great. But just if I can, when I die, and I don't know when it's going to be, but people I love have suddenly died uh, over my life. So when I die, I want to have a good life and a good death. And I want mm -hmm. to have my health span match my lifespan. But if it's today or tomorrow, that actually I've lived one hell of a life. I've had some great experience. I've met some amazing people like you and others. That's one of the joys of this. Uh, we've done about 270 episodes of all these different people that I've mm -hmm. met that they share their wisdom and experience and their, their vulnerabilities and their moments when they got it wrong and they were uh, insecure or failed in things. But that gives others reassurance that it's okay to be normal, you know, like, and what is normal anyway? And, and rather than trying to live some ideal uh, social media, you know, icon who suddenly become a millionaires because they post a lot, these people have got a, a real life. That I think it's, alone. yeah. And I think I, I wish our children, I wish, you know, it's still a vision of mine that a lot of this work we can take it take into um, schools and universities, um, because I think if we can teach it as part of, um, you know, someone's university degree, which is, you know, to teach the around um, understanding self and belief in yourself, clearing up your clutter, um, not holding on to resentments, uh, you know, because you're you can end up being so vindictive towards yourself that you actually end up again in pain. But really having an honest look at the choice you have in our Hoffman world, you know, we call it the left road, which is the road of um, self-destructive behaviors, of patterns, of, you know, removing yourself from life and becoming isolated and dying. A, a sad old woman in my case, you know, where people go, oh dear, what happened to her? She had, you know, she had such promise. Um, and then the choice of actually going, well, hold on, if I now look at how I do want to live, as you say, whether it's tomorrow I die or in three months or in 40 years or whatever, I'd be very old then. Um, what am I, you know, you talk about what are my morals? What are my values? What is my legacy? Um, you know, the piece that we do on the Hoffman process about that is so empowering for people um, and making a really personal commitment to yourself and how you will be in this world. You know, every step you take on this planet, why? Why are you doing it? Because, you know, we do this work on our businesses as a matter of course. It's called due diligence. It's called SWOT analysis. It's called doing your bloody business plans. It's working with a da-da-da. Okay, you do it all automatically, but when do you do it for yourself? You know, and, uh, and, we... and this this was so interesting about your um, experiencing firsthand the Hoffman process with 23 other complete strangers who then we became closer in seven days than I think I've been with any group anywhere and and mm. i'm always into the business of building teams and leading teams and but but it was such a level of mutual respect and trust and respecting people's differences and that none of us are the complete product no, no we're all work in progress and someone said this is not therapy but it's far better these seven days are far better than seven years of weekly therapy because it's very 
practical. And for someone yeah. like myself, it's very hands-on. So I, I understood all about the, imagine you're going into a church and, and you walk up the aisle and the, there's organ music playing and it's quiet and the church is empty, but there's a coffin there and, and there's someone who's died and you go up and you look and you see it's you. And then people file into the church and, and you're almost invisible, but you can see them all coming in. They're people you know, people you grew up with and your, uh, your, your friends from work and uh, people you, you've known, uh, business colleagues. What do they say about you? Now, if, if you to die today, is that what you want them to say about you? And then what would they say about you perhaps in two years time? I remember that. That was, that was years ago. I learned it on a PricewaterhouseCoopers course. But the exercises that you did, which I won't spoil the fun for people who are going to come on, <laughs> is so experiential and so um, profound that the memory of that, I can remember the moments where mm. I was in the building, outside in a special spot, in the grounds, by the river, whatever those moments were for those particular, I will never forget those. Mm. Now, if people can do this, as you say, schools and universities, if people can do this as early as possible, that would be great. I remember that my daughter's peer group at university, one was at Bristol, one was at Cambridge, many of them were going through big mental health issues. And if only they'd had something along the lines of this idea of the deficit of love or negative love or patterns of behavior and who you'd copied from childhood. Yeah. And, and the mask you put on and, and, and having compassion and awareness and expression and, and new behavior, if only they'd understood that early, you'd set them up for a successful life. Yeah, you know, I hope fun. so. And it's not too late. You know, yeah. we're 28 years this year. Um, I think as we uh, make the movement when it's right to being a not-for-profit, that will then allow us great opportunity to bring in skilled people um you know because it's been tim and i you know up to now you know adjusting who's doing what but um you know as i say again i came from uh, an acting background i i didn't go to university because i got into rada um so i went to rada instead back in 1983 um i then left rada and worked my point of reference when it comes to now being in the position that i'm in is Theatre is all about team. Acting is all about, you know, needing the box office staff, needing the writer, needing the costume person, the makeup person, the director, the producer, you know, the person who cleans the loos in the theatre. You know, I need to, you know, if I turn up, there's a team there. It's not, you know, the focus is on the show, but we are all part of that. And our Hoffman Institute UK Limited um, is... You know, I see, that's where I realize, oh, I know why I am here, because it's familiar. I understand that we are all putting in, you know, the people in the office who are the answer the phone, the person who does the website, the person who does the social media, who's my son, by the way, anyway, um, uh, are the people who facilitate, as you say, the people who are cooking you that wonderful food that you had the groundsmen who are looking after the, the garden that you walked in, you know, they're all part, the people who are putting together the folders, all part of, you know, we all come together to focus on the Hoffman process, which again is back to that Blake Mykoski's 
um, brilliant quote, which is, you know, we are in the business because you have to have a framework, even if it's about peace of mind, to change life, to improve lives. Um, and I kind of realize now, oh, that's why I'm here. And it's yeah. just interesting for Tim and I to look at what's our legacy and what's our future, mm. because I'm not going to be in this role this time next year. Mm. You know, mm. so that is also a really interesting moment for me to practice what I preach, to use my tools to go, how will I feel about letting go? What mm. does letting go mean? You know, it means a very different thing to me now because I'm going to be 60 this year. Uh, it means a very different thing to me now than it did, you know, three years ago. Yeah, well, look, happy birthday for this year. And, 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 and <laughs> being only just a year uh, ahead of you in this um, life journey, it is a wonderful stage to be at, particularly if we get our act together and we look after our, you know, eat, move, sleep, breathe, focus and prosper and, our, and our, the way we show up. Um, let's just, as we come to the end of this, let's have a... Um, Favorite audio book might be by Gabor Mate um, that you'd yeah, recommend like to, to people that uh, would. I probably um, should recommend Tim's book. You can change your life. Okay, and and also yeah. for for those listening, the website um, that you can go and look at. If you're in the UK, it's https www.hoffmaninstitute.co.uk, yeah. and if you're looking for global, it's the same again: https www.hoffmaninstitute.org. So that if you're in a different part of the world. That takes you to the US um, yeah, website. US. So if you're in the US, there's also a Hoffman International. But basically nowadays, search engines are so good. If you just type in Hoffman process, you know, it'll come up in whatever region you're in. Yeah. Uh, we're lucky because we happen to be based on this tiny little island in the middle somewhere. So that's why we attract people who come, as you said, from Europe or from the Middle East or from India or, you know, from the States, from Canada. So it's a real, really exciting. I'm about to go and teach a process at the end of next week uh, at a venue we're using in Oxfordshire. Um, and it's I'm already excited. I'm reading the pre-work. I'm already you know, delving into the story of each of my individual clients. And it's like reading a book. You kind of can't wait to get into the novel. You know, I'm getting yeah, the kind yeah. of the sense of somebody. And but I'm not going to teach them anything. They're going to teach themselves. I'm just going to hold the space and facilitate. I'm going to walk alongside their journey so that they because otherwise, you know, I can't go home with everybody. You know, no, no. and like, then this is what this yeah. is what people want, and indeed, I was even caught in. I wonder, can I can I have some therapy? Can I take you home after? in my pockets? Yeah, right. no. And and actually keeping that distance allowed me to take ownership myself. And and I do think this idea of uh, just to say it that the quality of your facilitators was exceptional, and they, the way they work together as a team to facilitate it and hold the boundaries and hold the space. Mm. And, and let us get out of the way of ourselves. So mm. let's end with uh, your recommendation of um, a couple of books if you want, audio books, and, and why you'd recommend them. Um, okay. At LinkedIn, you mentioned Tim's as one, and, and perhaps another one. And I then, like, uh, I'll tell you now, actually, um, which is a Brene Brown. Um, she's an amazing American woman, and mm -hmm. she's written a book called Daring Greatly. Mm -hmm. I mean, that she's written about. God, 20 books, but uh, that was one of the first books that I read that made me realize about the power of inner leadership um, before you try and be an external leader. Um, so that the was one the of the inner them. journey. It's very good. I love it. 
Okay, and then Tim's book is called again. Tim you can Lawrence. change your life. You can change your life. Um, yeah, and that's a, a lovely sort of introduction to start to get a flavour of some of the things that are going to come up. Yeah. So, um, wonderful, Serena. So, would you introduce yourself very briefly, explain the role you have at the, at the Hoffman Institute UK, and give us your final two-minute top tip? Okay, so my name is Serena Gordon, and I'm the Managing Director of Hoffman Institute UK Limited. We put on a personal development programme called the Hoffman Process. So, I have so many top tips, so I'm going to try and go with one it's literally just to pause, breathe, you know, really go inside and just get a sense of connection to yourself of what feels right. You know, whether you have a connection to a, a true self and inner essence or whatever, but just what feels right, you know, watching the negative chatter, let that go. Just what feels right in this moment take your time and then let go of the need to control the outcome. So I call it surrender. Just the what will be will be, you know. So that for me uh, has kept me doing this job for the past 28 years and hopefully doing something very different in the next few. <laughs> well, it's really good. Thank you very much indeed. I deliberately made this a little bit different from the other ones because uh, I think thank people you. will get much more from it. And uh, thank you for just turning up and being yourself and explaining it in a way that people can understand very easily. It's been a pleasure having you on Appreciate the Inspiring it. Leadership Podcast. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. Bye. Bye. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, Get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.